Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. All right. Praise be to God. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35 today. But first, my thoughts from last week's sermon. That was the steps to handling a sinning brother. As a result of this sermon, I had a couple different conversations with a couple different people. And it became evidently clear to me, even while I was setting up the message, that there were like a couple things that I that were kind of sitting there, but I really couldn't put my finger on them. And I was so focused on everything that I already had, I kind of just left them out. And it kind of worked out good because I like to keep my messages around an hour. So uh, I always have this thoughts from last week. So I'm going to cover a couple things that I forgot or didn't put in last week. Uh, the two things that I didn't touch on last week are something that I wasn't sure about in dealing with a sinning brother, and something I didn't address. One, the something I wasn't sure about, but then the Lord showed me through a conversation I had later in the week. I wasn't sure about what a Christian's rights were in God, you know, because I always kind of look at my life and everything I do now, now that I'm saved and I love Jesus, I look at everything I do and what, what would he do? You know, a, a good model for Christians to live by is what would Jesus do? And, and you could play that out in every situation. What would Jesus do in this situation? What would Jesus do in that situation? What would Jesus do here? What would Jesus do there? So I wasn't sure in setting up last week's message what, you know, a Christian could do if, you know, once a, a brother or sister would not even hear the church, you know, last four, step four, you know, the, the last, very last, you know, Armageddon step, you could say, you know, where they no longer afterwards, Jesus said, you count them as an unbeliever. You know, if they don't even hear the church, you know, they come and sin against you, you take it to them. Then you go and you take it to other brothers and sisters and you go to that brother that sinned against you or sister. And then, you, you know, after that, if they won't hear them, go to the church. And if they still won't, you know, hear the church, then go, you know, then count them as an unbeliever. Well, what, what can a Christian do after that? If, let's say, the offense or the sin against you was money or property or goods or, you know, whatever it was. Because, I mean, is it is it right that you're just out that stuff? You know, this brother or sister refuses to hear you, no matter even you brought it to the church and it just won't hear. Yes, no, now they're an unbeliever to you. But what does that mean? I mean, are you just out all your money? Are you just out all the goods they stole from you? Are you out all the property? What about all that stuff that was involved? Well, here's what God showed me. Remember in 1 Corinthians, Paul talked about that it's, you know, that in God's eyes, it's not right to uh, sue a brother or sister, you know, that we were supposed to go and take it to the church. Well, remember what Jesus said. Jesus said that if they won't even hear the church, then they, you are then allowed to consider them an unbeliever. So if now an ex-brother or sister uh, offends you, and they refuse to pay back any kind of money or property or goods, even if the church says that they should, then now what God showed me is, since now they're an unbeliever to you, now it's actually okay that you take them to court. It's okay that you take them to the judicial system and let the lawyers go and let the court systems all fight it out because now they're no longer a brother and sister to you. Now they're just an unbeliever to you. And the Bible says that now through those texts, that that's okay. That's an okay thing to do. You know, is that what we want to do? Is that the ideal situation if it doesn't work out? No, it's not. But if you're, you know, if the brother or sister ripped you off of a whole bunch of money or material or product or goods, then, you know, you, unless God specifically speaks to your heart and says, no, you know, just don't worry about it. You know, you, you want your stuff back. You want the stuff that they stole back from you. So it's actually okay biblically not that, of course, that's what God desires, but it's okay biblically to take that now to a public judicial system and the world's judicial system and let lawyers battle it out so that you get your stuff back. That's actually okay in God's eyes. And something that I didn't address, number two, the second thing that God showed me per conversations after last week's sermon, concerning the one that gets accused. You know, a lot of, last week we talked a lot about, you know, if a brother or sister comes to you, how do you handle that? You know, or if a brother or sister sins against you, how do you handle that? So how do you, you know, and we, we, last week's message was all about that. But what about the one that's accused? What about, let's say, you know, on, you, on your end, you're the one this brother or sister comes to and they accuse you of sinning against them. Well, what if 
this brother or sister brings an accusation against you of you offending or sinning against them, but there's no basis of truth to their claims in your eyes at all. I mean, and by this I mean I'm talking about these claims that they accuse against you. When you first hear them, you, you can't even believe that they're talking about you. It's just so outrageous. You're like, I can't, where? When did I do that? Is that my character? Is that me? You know, it, it sounds so far off base that you're like, are they talking about another me? Or did, did they have a dream about me? I, I don't even remember that situation happening. Or when did I ever do that kind of thing that supposedly I offended them? I don't, I don't, I cannot even remember. I mean, you know, did I, I did I, do, do I even know you kind of a thing? Maybe you don't even know this brother or sister that well. And they come to you and they say, well, you've offended me or you've sinned in this way or you've sinned in that way. Now, you know, you need to repent, you know, and you're like, wow, I don't even remember that. You know, it's so far off base. It sounds like somebody else. So what do you do if you're stuck? Because, you know, according to the Bible, you just have to kind of humble yourself and apologize. But if you don't really, you're like, well, what did I do? You know, what do you do? What, what are you supposed to do then? Well, here's what you're supposed to do, because this does happen. You should go and bring the situation before others that you know well. Okay, Others that are very intimate with you, others that know you intimately. And you need to throw this accusation at them and say, listen, this is what... This is what a brother or sister, you don't even have to have names and name any names. This is what a brother or sister said about me. This is what they said I did, or this is what they said I was involved in. And this is what they're saying about me. Is this truth? Can you please tell me, be real with me? You know, somebody that loves you, somebody that cares about you, somebody that knows you well, you know, is this real? And inquire of them, is this real? And what, what you're doing when you're doing this is you're, you're testing what you're told. And the Bible says, test all things. It's okay to do that. And if all these counselors that you go to and they're like, well, I don't see this either. What, you didn't do anything wrong. And when did you do that? I, do you even know this other brother? And, you know, if, if these counselors that you go to agree with you, then you can actually be the one that goes and brings these witnesses of your innocence to the one that accused you and let your righteous agreement. Remember, we talked about last week about the righteous agreement or the agreement of the righteous goes all the way to heaven and God will approve it. Let your righteous agreement and your witness, witnesses prevail against the false accusation of that brother or sister that came against you. And if that one that brought the false accusation against you doesn't hear you and your righteous witnesses, then again, there you go. you got to then take it to the church. And if they won't hear the church, well then, you know, there you go. Then you can count them as an unbeliever. So you got to take those steps all over again. But just do them in reverse. And you may think, well, Pastor Ed, really, is this something that can happen? I mean, I don't know. I never heard about this. Well, it actually happened to me. It's happened to me in the past, and I'll tell you, it's a terrible situation. I've been accused of things before, and it wasn't me, and I had no idea, and some they came at me, and I went and got my righteous witnesses, and, and I prevailed, and you know, but I didn't prevail, and it was kind of a messy situation. It was real ugly, and there's no winners. It can really destroy your faith, and really, if you're not grounded in Christ, you could fall away from God altogether. And I hope that none of you ever have to go through any situation like this ever. And, I, and you know what this kind of situation is? One thing, or I should say one thing, it's not. It's not God's will. It's not God's desire. And as we're going to see today in our message today, the title is God is Serious About Forgiveness. That's God's will. That's God's desire is forgiveness. You could say another desire of God is just love. And so these accusations and bringing them against one another and falsely and all this other stuff, that's not God's will. And all that's ugly and just disgusting. So let's move forward. I want to read our section of scripture today. Again, we're in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 25. Again, our title of our sermon is, God is Serious About Forgiveness. Let's read it. Matthew 18, verse 21. The Bible says, Then Peter came to him, Jesus, and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 77 times, or, seven, or 70 times seven, excuse me. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold, and his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant, therefore, fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. 
Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid his hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the whole debt. So when the fellow servants so when the fellow servants saw, so when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved, and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespass. So, Jesus, if we remember back again, like I just was talking about it, steps to handling a sinning, sinning brother. Jesus had just finished teaching about what steps we're supposed to take, uh, you know, towards a, sin, a brother that comes or that sins against you. How do we handle a sinning brother? He just got done speaking all those things. And remember, well, you wouldn't remember because I didn't touch on it because Jesus didn't at that point. In our first, second, third, and fourth steps, no matter what the other party did, an underlying fact or something that was there, but Jesus didn't touch on it, but the disciples knew completely what he was saying was that no matter what happened, no matter how the other person responded in each of those four steps, step one, whether they heard you or not, two all the way to four, no matter what happened, the underlying understanding by the disciples and by Jesus is, of course, just maybe he taught about it or the disciples understood it was forgiveness. No matter how they acted, God wants us to forgive no matter what. We're just supposed to forgive and we're not supposed to hold a grudge. This is an aspect that Jesus didn't teach about last week that we talked about, but the disciples fully understood this concept and we see that right there in verse 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall I... Shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him up to seven times? He knew, he's like, okay, I know I'm supposed to forgive my brother. Jesus, I know that if my brother or sister sins against me, no matter what the outcome, I know I'm supposed to forgive them. But how many times should I forgive him? You know, up to seven? You know, and think about it. Seven times, that, that seems kind of appropriate to me. You know, think about it. If somebody comes at you and they say something wrong or they, they offend you or they, you know, take money from you or whatever. And, you know, I can understand that, you know, one, two, three, maybe three times. You're like, OK, three. That's kind of you. You, have you know, totally ripped me off three times. And I mean, you're, you're an unbeliever to me, but I mean, you know, I, I, I can't hold any resentment against you. I know I'm supposed to forgive you, but. You know, but then he comes to the Lord. You know, Peter comes to the Lord and says, Lord, how many times? You know, I mean, seven? I mean, they, they, they've stolen from me five times, six times, seven times. And after that, I don't got to forgive them, right? Come on, really, seven times. Seven times they talked to me nasty. Seven times they've taken money from me. And seven times they haven't paid me back. Seven times they've never apologized. Or five of those times they did. Uh, Lord, seven times, that's enough, right? I mean, after seven, I just wash my hands, and then I can hold resentment against them for the rest of my life, right? I mean, seven times, that's, that's kind of big. I believe, in fact, that Peter was even being generous with his forgiveness because of the phrase, up to seven times. But unfortunately, Jesus had some bad news for him, and we see that in verse 22. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven in case you're doing the math in your mind, maybe some of you mathematicians already got it down, but that's 490 times that Jesus just said, forgive your brother or sister if they come and they sin against you. No matter what the outcome, forgive them. You know what? You did me wrong, and I understand that, but that 490 times. And as we read on, you'll see, I personally think, as we look at the rest of the text today, I personally think that that was 490 times per each type of sin that they could have sinned against you. So that'd be 
490 something like maybe if they spoke to you in a negative way or a bad way or they spoke down to you forgive them up to 490 times for that one wow that's a lot if they take advantage of you 490 for that one and then money goods etc if they stole them from you forgive them up to 490 times for that I and mean, that's probably never going to happen but that's jesus's perspective on forgiveness that's why the title of the sermon is god is serious about forgiveness and if you ask me, that's Jesus is speaking forgiveness there with a big fat capital F. It's pretty amazing. So, you know, Jesus a lot of times, what he did, and we see this all throughout the New Testament, as he was teaching, he would say something, but then to give the disciples a better understanding, especially when it was a monumental type thing, you know, like how serious God is for, about forgiveness, Jesus just didn't end it there. He could have just said, hey, 490 times, Boom, that's it. Let's move on. Next subject. But he didn't. What did he do? To give the disciples, Peter and the disciples, an exact picture of what he just said, of this forgiveness, of this type of forgiveness that he was talking about here, Jesus gives them a parable of a certain king with a servant that owed him some debt. And the king here, in case you're wondering, the king here exhibits the very essence of the word forgiveness. And Jesus gives us that as a very first example. In this parable, Jesus gives us a very vivid picture of just how serious God is about us forgiving others. So here's the parable. In the first, by the way, just so you know how I'm going to teach this, I'm going to go through all the physical side of the parable. We're going to look at a bunch of facts, and then we're going to move on to the spiritual side. Because a parable, Jesus said here, the kingdom of heaven is like, verse 23. It gives us a picture of when you hear that, it's a physical picture of a spiritual idea. That's what a parable is. A physical picture of a spiritual truth of God. So verse 23, I'm going to read it. This is the parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. So we have a king of a nation, of a land, and he looks, looking at his balances, he's looking at his accounts, and he He sees all his accounts and he sees, wow, you know, I've got a lot of money that's out to a whole bunch of different servants. Time to pay up. You know, they've owed me long enough. I need the money. Maybe I want to go build another kingdom in another land. I want to go conquering. I need to hire more soldiers. Whatever the reason, I'm ready now. Let's go. I need all my money back. I need to settle my accounts. Let's go call the first servant. So he starts calling servants to get his money back. Verse 24. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. So he he gets, maybe he he didn't say he was the first one. He had some other servants and he starts settling accounts and we don't hear about those guys. But one was brought to him for the purpose of Jesus' idea here, the spiritual truth of God. One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. I mean, 10,000 anything, aside from pennies, that'd be a lot. You know, $10,000 or, or you know, 10000 anything is a lot. But, but here he says one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But to, for Jesus to give these guys just how serious God is about forgiveness, we have to look into the talent a little bit. This is a debt, as I talked about already. These servants owed this king all this money. And he, this was a, here a 10,000 talent debt. Just offhand, I've heard it taught before. I never heard this before, though. Biblically, this could have been a silver or gold talent. Jesus does not signify. I lean toward gold more just because I know how serious God is about forgiveness. But we could just, for the heck of it, say, you know, we just don't know. Could be silver or gold. 10,000 talents. What is a talent? A talent was just a way to measure money. It was a way to, to get a weight on money. So if you think 10,000 talents, it was actually a talent was a certain size. Okay, According to Strong's Concordance in Israel, one talent of silver weighed 100 pounds. And one talent of gold weighed 200 pounds. Okay, so you got that? It's very critical. We understand this. See how serious God is about forgiveness. One talent of silver, 100 pounds. And one talent of gold weighed 200 pounds. Now, what did Jesus say? Jesus just said that the servant here that was brought to him owed him 10,000 
of these either 100 pound or 200 pound talents. So I want you to wrap your mind around what kind of debt this really was. I want you to wrap your mind around the size of this debt. So I went ahead and did all these equations and all these different conversions and so on and so forth to give you this finished product. Because whether it's silver or gold, whether this debt was 10,000 silver talents or 10,000 gold talents, it, the, the amount that this servant owed this king is massive. So at 10,000 talents of silver at 100 pounds per talent, that was 1 million pounds of silver. That's pretty, that's pretty large. At 10,000 talents of gold, that was 2 million pounds of gold. That's pretty large. The amount of this debt and what the debt stands for, we're going to find out in the spiritual side of things once we get to the explanation of the parable, but I'll address that as we come. But I'd have to say either 1 million pounds of silver or 2 million pounds of gold, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of weight. Even more astonishing is how much actual money by today's standards this debt equaled. So I converted the pounds to the troy ounce because that's how they sell gold and silver now by the troy ounce. And so I came up with these numbers here. If the servant, let's say, only owed the master, the king, 10,000 talents of silver, in today's money, it's right around $256 million dollars. That's if it was silver. Gold, like I said, I tend to lean on it. It was gold just because I know the forgiveness of God and what the Bible says about it. But 10,000 talents of gold, that'd be 2 million pounds of gold, equates out to over $350 billion. So either the servant owed the king 250 million pounds of silver or... $350 billion of gold. Wow. So since the talent was really gold or silver, it was real money now, mind you. Felt like God wanted me to say this in this in this sermon. I didn't go into it. I looked into some research about money today and the millionaires and billionaires of today. And you've got you know a whole bunch of people that are you know low billionaires, you know, 25 billion, 65 billion, you know, 32 billion. You got all these billionaires today, but you gotta remember all our money today is fake money. So, uh, these talents were real hard cash. This was real hard gold. This is what our money's supposed to be backed by, but we lost that in America and over the country a long time ago, generally. So this money was real money, real actual factual money, not like the play money that we have today. And if you take how rich this king was, we're going to see how this is important later, this king was more wealthy than any man alive ever, hardly ever been alive on the planet, because even today, by the standards of today, our play money This king had real money. And remind you, this debt was only one of the people that owed this king this much money. So this, again, so we're looking at this servant owing this king $250 million to $350 billion. That was his debt to the king. So was this fellow able to pay back this monstrous debt or this monstrous debt? Look at verse 25. But as he was not able to pay. So, of course, he couldn't pay this debt back. Who could? It's no shocker. I want you to wrap your mind around the size of this debt because I like to really give us a picture of what this is. In today's money, okay, just today's money, let's say a man, woman, or whatever was able to make 50000 a year because that's pretty good nowadays, 50000 I mean, that's not... That's not low, and that's not real high. 50000 that's kind of a, that's a good wage. 50000 a year, and let's say he was able to do it for 50 years. That's a bit extreme, because generally people don't work 50 years of their life making that much money. You know, after they retire, people will go make less just to keep working. But let's say that they were able to make 50000 a year for 50 years of work. Well, in just 50 years of work, making 50000 a year, that's $2.5 million in one lifetime. Think about this debt like this. $250 million, and then we're going to do a $350 billion. Just to pay back the silver talent debt, this servant, if he lived today, made $50,000 a year at, 50 time, at, 50, at $2.5 million over 50 years. He'd have to live 100 lifetimes in order to pay this $250 million debt back. 
And that, that's a lot. It's a big debt. If we're talking about $350 billion, it would take 140,000 lifetimes to pay it back if the man made 50000 a year for 50 years of his life. So nobody's going to live 100 lifetimes or 140,000 lifetimes to pay it back. So this debt was monstrous and tremendous, and nobody was going to be able to pay it back, period. And money then, unless you were a king, you made very little. And this guy here, the, the scripture says, was just a servant. So at that, a servant in those days maybe made dollars a day. Actually, going to look at that next. But this servant probably only made dollars a day. So, what were the consequences for this guy not being able to pay him back? Read the rest of verse 25. His master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment would be made. He had to face the consequences. I can't pay the debt back. Oh my gosh, I don't have this money. Please forgive me. You know, I don't have the money. Please, you know. You've got to face the consequences. When you do something wrong, consequences you have to face. Now the money received from the sale of all this, you know, what the king was asking for, wouldn't have even scratched the surface, okay, of what, of paying the debt back at all. But the king had to make sure that a substantial payment was made in order to punish the servant for his irresponsibility for not paying the debt back and letting it get so large and let it get so big. I mean, after all, he didn't have to keep borrowing this much money, uh, but he did. So what was the servant's response to the king's righteous judgment? Verse 26. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me. I will pay you all. Now the servant knew darn well that he wasn't going to be able to pay back this monstrous and tremendous debt. There was no way, no earthly way possible, that he would have been able to pay back this money because this servant was most likely, you know, not, no, he wasn't a teenager, you know. He, he was older, so he had to take time to build up all that debt. So he wasn't a young, spry teenager that had his whole life to hopefully maybe become a millionaire and then, you know, <coughs> pay the king back. So he would have never ever, ever been able to pay it back. So he falls down and he falls on the king's merciful. Because guess what? He knew that this king was a merciful king. Now, even though the king knew that he was not, that he had, this man had no way that this man could ever pay this debt back, look at his response to this man's step of repentance toward what he owed and plea for mercy in verse 27. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion he released him and forgave him the debt. Wow. In case you want to recap, the king just forgave the man anywhere from $250 million to $350 billion worth of debt. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money that he owed. It's a lot of money that he borrowed. And it's a lot of money to forgive somebody if they don't pay you back. If you ask me, that's mercy. That's mercy with all capital letters, highlighted, underlined, emboldened, and italicized. There's no greater mercy that this king could have showed this man but to forgive him all this debt. I mean, just think. $256 million or $350 billion of money. And then you just say, ah, oh man, I feel sorry for you. That's okay. (laughs) Don't worry about it. Wow. Well, that right there was the physical side of how serious God is about forgiveness. And if you ask me, that's some pretty serious forgiveness. I don't know anybody alive that would forgive that kind of debt that you owed them. I have, I mean, I've known people have a hard time forgiving people of debts in the dollars, of the hundreds of dollars, not $256 million to $350 billion worth of debt. But yet the king was merciful, just forgave him all that debt. That's some pretty serious mercy. So what's the spiritual side of that first part of the parable? 
Well, as we know, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is like, so we know it's a spiritual picture. It's a physical picture of a spiritual truth of God. So the merciful king is God Almighty. We know that. It's a spiritual thing. The servant, the debtor, notice these are, this is a Christian. This is Peter and his disciples. By verse 23, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Since the king is God Almighty, who are his servants going to be? Well, this is not talking about an angelic realm here. This is not an angel. This is humanity. This is people that have come to him that he's forgiven. This is his servant. This would be his child. This is a Christian. That's, that's the debtor that owed all this money. Was, it, was a, it was a child of God. And the 10,000 talents of debt, whether silver or gold, is our sin that we had that we stand before God with. When we sin as we sin, our sin goes against God. All sin is against God, the Bible says. And the 10,000 talents represent the size of our sin before God that we could never, ever, 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 ever pay back. Because when we sin, we're not perfect. We'll talk about that later. We had to have somebody come and pay that sin. But our sin, we can never pay it back before God. And the example of how the king forgave the great debt is an example of how merciful God is toward his children when we sin against him and then we come to him and we ask him forgiveness. How serious is God about forgiveness? He's pretty serious. And how comforting is it to know that when we blow it, when we blow it, not that we should live that way as a Christian, not that we should live that way out and out right against God, but how comforting is it to know that in this parable Jesus gave of the great king, that this great king just forgave his servant all this debt which represented their sin against God. When we sin, if you sin, don't ever feel like when you go to God and you ask for forgiveness that he doesn't forgive you. Because then if you do, we're making Jesus a liar. Because it says here that the great king, which is God, just forgave this servant $250 million to $350 billion worth of debt. That's some pretty serious forgiveness. God is pretty serious himself about forgiving mankind. All right. On to the second half of this parable. And as with our first part of the message, I'm going to teach through the physical side first, and then afterwards I'm going to go through the spiritual meaning. So now that Jesus has shown us, it's shown Peter and the disciples and us how serious God is about forgiveness with the example of this merciful king, he now gives us a new scenario. And in this scenario, it's a scenario with the servant himself. Let's read verse 28 and talk about it. But that servant went out. So this servant had just been forgiven all this money. This Christian, you could say, because he got saved or, or he just got all his sins forgiven, whichever. Okay, He just got forgiven all his debt. He got saved or he just got renewed with God, which however you want to say it. But that servant went out after he'd just been forgiven all this debt and found one of his fellow servants, one of his fellow, you know, it was an equal here. When you, when you hear fellow servants, this is a servant that was his equal. It was, you know, they were parallel. It wasn't somebody greater than him. It wasn't somebody less than him. One of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid his hands on him, took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. Listen, took him by the throat and said, Pay me what you owe. Wow, that's pretty harsh considering he had just got forgiven all that much money, you know, and then he takes him by the throat, a fellow fellow brother, you could call him, a fellow sister. Remember the whole context here is Peter said, how many times should I forgive my brother? Well, now we're not talking about an unbeliever here. How many times should I forgive my brother his sins when he comes and sins against me? Up to seven times, Jesus? <laughs> seven, I'm sure he's proud of me for that. No, Peter, 490, okay? Well, what is a denarii? What was a denarii? This guy here, this servant, took this other guy by the throat. Pay me what you owe me. And the guy owed him a hundred denarii. Well, what is a denarii? A denarii was the principal silver coin of the Roman Empire. And from the parable of the laborers in the vineyard, it would seem that a denarius, which is one denarii, one denarii, was then uh, the ordinary pay for one day's wage. 
what is the value of a denarius? I mean, this guy got so mad. I, I you know, is a denarius more than a talent? I mean, because this guy got so mad at this fellow servant, this must have been a huge amount of money we're talking about here, right? I mean, he got so mad. You know, this guy grabbed him by the throat, pay me what you owe me. You know, I mean, wow, what, what's a denarii? Well, a denarii, according to Strong's Concordance, is less than 0.1375 ounces of silver. That's a denarii. A hundred denarii was a little less than 13.75 ounces of silver. Money value of what this servant owed this other servant then? About a hundred days wage, or, or according to Haley Bible's handbook, which is something I study out of, uh, an actual denarii was 16 cents. One denarii, 16 cents. So this guy owed him a hundred of those, which was a whole $16 of their money then. Of our money today and calculating at silver prices today, this was about a, a little over $200 that the guy owed him. Wow. That's an extremely, you know, this first servant, we have an extremely blessed, highly forgiven man. You know, remember, King forgave him $250 million to $350 billion worth of debt. Was really acting like a jerk to his fellow servant who owed him about $200. Yeah, that's me. That's, that's pretty crazy. So how did the servant who owed the $200 react to this terrible treatment? I mean, maybe he got mad at him, right? Verse 29. So his fellow servant, the one that owed him the hundred or the hundred denarii, fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, "Have patience on me, and I will pay you all." So what did he do? He acted in the same way as the first servant did when it came to the king that owed him ten thousand talents. Now, of course, this fellow that was forgiven so much, you know, absolutely, probably he just. He just let him go, right? I mean, after all, he was just forgiven a you know a, a, a mound of money like almost as big as the earth, right, in value, and so he just probably just let him go. I mean, after all, he was forgiven more money than he would have ever been able to pay back in a, a hundred or hundred and forty thousand lifetimes, and so he should have just had mercy on this fellow who owed him two hundred dollars, right? I mean, sixteen dollars their money, two hundred dollars our money. Just all right, you know what, man? I understand. Go on your way. How did he act? Read verse 30. And he would not. So he didn't forgive him the debt, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So for $200 our money, $16 their money, he took this man and he would not forgive him this debt and he threw him in debtor's prison. This guy was very unforgiving even though he had been forgiven so much already. That's a terrible way to be. If you're forgiven a lot, then you ought to forgive a lot too. But this guy wasn't following that principle. He just said, hey, man, that's it. You owe me, pay me now, or else. And he didn't, and he threw the man in prison until he was able to pay it all back. So does this guy get away with this evil, this evil way that he treated this poor fellow servant after he had received so much mercy from the king? Absolutely not. You know, Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Read verses 31 through 33. Look what happens to this very forgiven fellow after he treated this other poor fellow the same way, or he treated him worse, never didn't give him the same grace. So when... His fellow servants saw what he had done, what it, or what had been done. They went, and they were grieved, and they came and told the master all that he had done. So they said, you know what? Wow, I cannot believe that this guy who was forgiven all this money from the king, he just went and he just is going to throw this poor man in, in prison. Now, this man probably had a family. A $16 debt of their money. Versus a hundred million to a hundred billion dollar debt. And this man couldn't forgive this man for 16 bucks. Man, we ought to do something about this. 
let's go back to the king. Man, the king, he I'm sure he's gonna I'm sure he's gonna really like to hear this. I mean being sarcastic, of course. Let's let's just go to the king, because this is an injustice. Verse 32. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant! I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. So what did he do? He called him out. I forgave you all that money. A mountain of money that probably no one king on all the earth had. I forgave you all that money. And you couldn't forgive your fellow servant 16 bucks? Are you serious? You wicked servant. You wicked, wicked servant. He calls him out. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, verse 33, just as I had pity on you? That's what God wants. That's the answer to Peter's question. Should I for how many times should I forgive my brother or sister if they sin against me, Lord? Seven times? No, Jesus said, as many times until you stop counting. Who's going to really keep... Is anybody going to have a journal, by the way? And, you know, when a brother or sister sends in, okay, that's one. Oh, that's one under bad talking. Uh, you know, three weeks later, oh, oh that's two, bad talking. Okay, I got to forgive him again. Oh, oh, that, oh, okay, wait, that's that's one. He owes me money. And are you going to keep a journal 490 times for each sin that somebody sins against you? No. Jesus' heart when he said 490 was, don't just forgive them no matter what they do as many times as they do it. I forgave you. God forgave you everything. Forgive them completely. Don't hold anything against them. No matter how many times they sin against you, forgive them. The end result. Look at what the master did as an end result because of the unforgiveness that this man had for his fellow servant. Verse 34. And his master was angry. So the great king was angry. Look at there. We're going to talk about that, but we know that great king, that was God. And his master was angry. So does God get angry? Absolutely. And his master was angry and delivered him to the tortures until he should pay all that was due to him. In verse 34, obviously this was not a place that you could live more than one lifetime, let alone a hundred. So there was really no way out of this place of torment. No way out unless the man decided to forgive. So the unforgiven servant would never be getting out and he would die there unless he forgave that other servant of his debt. And the end of that unforgiving servant, if he never forgave, the end of that unforgiving servant that the great king gave so much forgiveness to was a torturous place that he would die in. So what's the spiritual message that Jesus is trying to give us behind this second part of the parable? Our context here, remember we looked at it, verse 23, the king's servant, this is a child of God, this is a Christian. Verse 28, so this fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, or verse 28, excuse me, but that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. This man sinned against him. This is a Christian. One Christian sinned against another Christian. And after the one Christian got forgave all that forgiveness, got all that forgiveness from God, the other servant, he finds another servant that sinned against him and he said, you, you dirty scoundrel, grabs him by the throat and he says, you, I'm never going to forgive you. Look what you did to me. Verse 28. That's the spiritual side. And look, the hundred denarii, that's nothing compared to the 10,000 that he was already just forgiven by God. Verse 29. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. This other man, you, you sinned against me. Then the man comes and he says, I for, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I sinned against you. You brought it to my attention. I can't believe I did that. Please forgive me. I'm so sorry. I'm so very sorry that I sinned against you. Will you please forgive me? Look at here. And he would not. This is a Christian on the one side. He got offended. The guy comes. He forget, you know, brings it up. The guy says, I, you know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But the man, the Christian that was offended, that got sinned against, would not forgive. 
And what did he do? He sent him to prison. He sent him to debtor's prison. How sad is that? And when his fellow servants saw what he had done, you know, because God sees everything, and God, some of God's servants are angels. And we, as other Christians, we see one Christian not forgiving another. We then can go pray to God, Hey, God, I don't understand this one man. He won't forgive this other man, Lord. He's been forgiven by you. I know he's yours. But he just won't. He just won't give forgiveness to this other brother or sister that sinned against him. And on God's side, and his master had called and said, You wicked servant. Look at what the Christian, look at what God called the Christian because he wouldn't forgive his fellow brother or sister. You wicked servant. This is a Christian. God's talking to a saved person here. You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not have also had compassion on that fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? Why didn't you? Why couldn't you find it in your heart, God's saying to anyone that won't forgive? Why couldn't you find it in your heart to forgive your brother or sister, even when I've forgiven you everything? You're clean before me, one hundred percent. And yet you couldn't find it in your heart to forgive your fellow servant, your fellow brother in me? How dare you? And sadly, 34, and his master was angry and delivered him to the tortures until he should pay all that was due to him. So what did God do there? God reinstituted all the first man's debt. All the 10,000 talents of debt back onto his head. And he said, I'm not going to, if you won't forgive him, I'm putting all your debt back on your head. And you're going to be, excuse me, delivered to the tortures. And think about this for a second. Listen to this verse 34. And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. Doesn't that sound like a very another place that we hear about in the Bible, a place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth, a place where someone will be tortured day and night for the rest of eternity. Doesn't this place sound a lot like hell? It, it sure does. Christian, listening anywhere, wherever you are, God just said there that if you won't forgive your fellow servant, you're walking away from God and spiritually, if a Christian refuses to forgive his brother or sister, then you're going to cut yourself off from God. God's going to remove his forgiveness from you, and you're going to find yourself walking away from God, losing God's forgiveness, and ending up in hell for all eternity, unless you forgive from your heart, as we're going to read just next, unless you forgive from your heart all that your brother or sister or anyone did to you. And in case you're wondering, because, you know, I'm speaking things that generally aren't spoken in any church I've ever been in. I've never heard in a church that a Christian can walk away from God by unforgiveness. But I will only teach you what the scripture says. I'm not going to lie to you because Jesus is very literal here in his words. If you think I'm just kidding, if you think that I'm just making this up and oh, Pastor Ed, you're crazy. There's no way that God's going to take away his unforgiveness just because I won't forgive another brother or sister. Well, look at verse 35, which is our last which is our last verse of today's scripture, and you tell me how you translate what Jesus says here. So my heavenly Father, which which is the great king that's God almighty, so my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. If you die, I don't care if you've gotten saved. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 50 years. Jesus just said here, if you won't forgive your brother or sister their trespasses, God will remove his unforgiveness from you and you will end up turning your back on God and walking away from God and ending up burning in the eternal flames of fire forever. Notice verse 35, no more parable. Jesus was speaking real words in verse 35, not a picture story of a spiritual image. He comes right out. 
so my heavenly Father also will do to you, <coughs> excuse me, if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. He's not speaking in a parable. He just comes right out and says it. And notice he says, from the heart. Not just the superficial, oh, you're, I forgive you. <laughs> and walk away, dirty, no. Unless you forgive from your heart, God will not forgive you. Now, it's shocking to hear that. It is shocking to hear that. That's what the Bible says. But no, know this. God doesn't want you to not have God doesn't want you to have unforgiveness for anybody. Not we're not only supposed to forgive Christians if they sin against us, but we're also supposed to forgive all people. And Jesus gives the same terms if we hold unforgiveness towards anybody, whether believer or not. Look at Matthew 6, 14 and 15. I'll read it to you. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So unless we forgive, if you're a child of God and you're listening to this sermon, if you're a Christian and you're saying, you're saying to yourself, well, I've got unforgiveness for this, that, and that, they've done me wrong, they've done that, then right here and right here in Matthew 18 and Matthew 6, Jesus is saying, unless you forgive everyone, no matter what they've done to you, unless you forgive them of what they've done to you, then your heavenly Father will not forgive you your trespasses. He won't forgive you your sins. Pretty powerful and serious words from Christ here concerning forgiveness. For a Christian, forgiveness is not optional. We just learned some very ser- how very serious God is about forgiveness today, didn't we? We learned today that God considers unforgiveness a sin for his child. But the big question is why? Why is unforgiveness a sin for a child of God that can, that can send them to hell unless they were to forgive someone else? I want you to think about the parable that Jesus gave us today. When someone turns to God and surrenders to Christ and makes him their master, the Bible says that God forgives the surrendered person of all their tremendous and dreadful debt of sins against him. Because the Bible says again, all sin is against God. If you've ever sinned once in your life, even if you've hurt others and you've broken God's commandments and you've sinned before, the Bible says all sin is against God. So you sinned against God. But if you've come to Him and you've surrendered to Him and you've made Him your King and you, you've turned to Him, then all your sin, the Bible says, from east as far as the west, it's all gone. It's all forgiven. Just like the great merciful King in our parable forgave the servant their tremendous dreadful debt of money that he owed him. Remember the parable. It's a very equal. This parable is a physical picture of a spiritual idea from God okay so when you come you're all forgiven completely forgiven but the bible says that our sins are so tremendous that we could never even think of being able to make that payment before god because we're sinners and god won't god won't he will not accept the finances the repayment because you're a sinner the bible says that god had to make a payment for your sins and that payment of course was christ jesus who died on the cross for your sins to pay the tremendous debt price for our sins and offer mankind, you, me, everybody, a pardon from them, just like the great king today. Now, one of those things that God requires of those that are redeemed, as we just read today, and been forgiven that tremendous dreadful debt is to pass it on when others sin against us and forgive them no matter what they do. Another person who sins against us is nowhere near the same type of sin as when we sinned against God. Think about it. We're not perfect. God is perfect. If somebody sins against you, that's just man to man. Be a man. Forgive and move on. If you were God and somebody sinned against you, I could see it being hard for God to forgive people, but he doesn't. 
Because God considers sin, or God considers forgiveness pretty seriously. He loves to forgive. So God makes forgiveness a must for any that receive his forgiveness. And if we won't, then Jesus just said here, and Matthew 6, so if you will not forgive another, God will take his forgiveness back from you. And that's pretty scary because God requires you and me and anyone that would call themselves by the name of Jesus Christ to forgive others of the sins that they sin against you. And that is pretty serious. Why is it all? Where's the root? The root is all? Jesus said all the law and the commandments lay upon two things. To love your, the Lord your God with all your heart, my soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you can have unforgiveness towards somebody, you're not really loving them. So therefore, when you sin as a believer and you won't forgive another believer or you won't forgive the world, you're cutting yourself off from God. You're, you're, you're making Him remove His forgiveness from your life. And hence, you're once again headed toward the down path of destruction. So I ask any Christian out there listening to this message, please, I exhort you, please, today, think in your hearts right now. Do you have unforgiveness for anyone, for anything that they've done for you ever, or against you ever, I should say? And if you do, search your hearts. Ask God, show it to me, Lord. Do I have any unforgiveness in my heart toward anybody? Because if you do, God will not forgive you. So I exhort you, forgive and forget no matter what they've done. It's nowhere near as big as your sin against God as we just read Jesus say here today. And remember, verse 35, if you don't do it from your heart, that means it's a true step of forgiveness, not just, oh, well, I forgive him, and then you go off and mumbling and grumbling and still have hatred in your heart. Please, Christians. Please walk with God and love God, love Him and love others. Now, if I have any unbelievers out there that may be listening to this message, listen, please. Listen carefully. Listen and look at the message. Look, listen to this message. What, what did Jesus teach here? I want you to examine the love and forgiveness that God and Jesus Christ here exhibited toward the one that came to him and they asked for forgiveness of their debt. Look at how great that love is that he shared with this servant here. Now, yes, this was of a servant of his kingdom, but God wants to forgive everybody. It's God's desire that none perish and all come to repentance. Your sin and making your sin and you're not making Jesus your master is rebellion towards God. And you will go to hell for that. If you are not born again, if you haven't surrendered your life to God, and you haven't taken a step of repentance toward Him and asked for forgiveness, and now decide to live for Him as one of His servants, then that sin will send you to hell. But God doesn't want you to go to hell. He offers you this forgiveness right now. If you just turn to Him and put all your faith in Him and give Him your life right now, God longs to forgive you, for God is serious about his forgiveness. He wants not only Christians to forgive other Christians and other people in the world, but he longs to forgive people because he longs to have people come into fellowship with him. But he's waiting on you to just say, God, I'm sorry. I see that I'm a sinner I see that I've offended you. I see that I owe you hundreds of millions and hundreds of billions of dollars. Lord, please forgive me for my debt because I know that I'm in trouble. And he'll say, no worries. You're forgiven. Come here, my son. And they give you a great big hug and welcome you into the kingdom. So please, if that's you today, he's just waiting on you. He's waiting on you to take the step of repentance and giving him of your life, and then living for him, and just trusting him and obeying him. So if that's you, please come now. God loves you very much. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this day, and thank you so much for 
this great love and this great forgiveness that you showed us in Scripture today. Wow, Lord, it's just amazing how much you love us. It's amazing the forgiveness that you want to share with people, even though we, we don't deserve it. This man in our story today, in our account today, in our parable today, where he, does not, he did not deserve to be forgiven of his debt. He abused the great king. He, he took advantage of the great king, and he kept borrowing and borrowing and borrowing and borrowing and borrowing, but yet, <laughs> when he came and you called him out on his sin, he couldn't pay it. Neither can we. We can't pay our sin before you. We're sinners. You gave that payment. We just have to put our faith and trust in, in Jesus Christ, the one that you gave, the propitiation for our sins. Lord, please, I pray we'd all come to you right now. And just no matter what we've done, just ask for forgiveness, Lord, and cry out to you, Lord. And whether we're believers or non-believers, Lord, if there's sin in our hearts because we've not forgiven another believer, Lord, I pray we'd repent of that. And I pray we'd make that right, Lord. And Lord, if, if somebody's out there right now and they're not yours, Lord, I pray they cry out to you and ask for forgiveness and repent and turn to you, Lord God, because please, they're just going to go to hell and you don't want that. Please save them, Lord. Bring them to Christ. Bring them to salvation. Thank you, Lord God. Praise you, Lord God. And I ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Okay, praise God. It's Pastor Ed here, everyone. And I want to thank you so much for stopping by and listening to the message today. It's my prayer that you were encouraged and challenged with what you heard today to be a doer of God's word and not a hearer only. Because... Your life will soon be passed, and only what you've done for Jesus Christ will last. Hey, if you live in the Dallas, Texas area, we want to invite you to come to our house church Sunday mornings for our service at 1015. Directions can be found on our website. Also, if you have any prayer requests, questions, or maybe you believe God has called you to support this church financially, please go to gospelsavingchurch.com and click on the appropriate links. I would love to hear from you. God loves you very much. Please love Him back by the way you live your life. And God bless you. Have a wonderful day.